podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, Paul Dennett here. Just letting you know that Cricket Unfiltered is now on Patreon. If you are a fan of our show and would like to support us with a few dollars each month, go to patreon.com slash cricket unfiltered. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash cricket unfiltered, or click the link in the show notes on your podcast app. Menas here, our Patreon supporters will also get some pretty cool bonus content. Paul will be doing a series of cricket history podcasts. And Menas will be doing long-form interviews with leading cricket personalities. All of these shows, plus other bonus features, will be available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. The first bonus episodes are available now. Menas has just done a superb interview with a very candid Shane Watson... And Paul has put a history special together on how cricket was covered on Australian television before the World Series cricket revolution. So if you want some great extra content or if you just love the show and would like to help support us financially, please go to p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash cricket unfiltered. Now on with today's show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to AFL Unfiltered. I'm your <laughs> host, Andrew Mensel. Me. No, I'm sorry, Jaleesa and Paul, welcome, but I'm a convert. I've been watching make, Making Their Mark on Amazon Prime. Oh, this is not good. a sponsored post, but I'm an AFL fan now. I I'm, want to talk I'm, about the Swans' big win on the weekend over first the, of all, the Lions. You'll uh, say anything if someone will pay you. I'm not being paid for this post. I am I am indoctrinated into the AFL well, world. Welcome, Paul. How are you? Good. And, Jaleesa, I'd like to clarify that I will say anything if anyone will pay me. So <laughs> if anyone wants to pay me for anything, um, if you want me to be an AFL fan, I will. I too would like to clarify that. <laughs> How are you, Jaleesa? up for sale. Yes. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I'm really well. I'm really well. Yeah, no, I, I love the behind-the-scenes stuff from the AFL, and you could never get that in an NRL context, could Why? you? Why? Well, can you imagine the stuff they'd be filming? What do you All mean? the meatheads in the dressing room slamming each other and stuff. I think there's a whole world of NRL that you don't mm. actually know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm an AFL convert. So in this I can't episode, wait for 10 years' time when you're an NRL convert and mm. we can remind you of all this. <laughs> can you just quickly name the 18 clubs, Minus? Mm, okay. Um, I don't know. Big, big Swans fan, though. Big Swans fan. <laughs> <laughs> all there, right, but there's a lot of birds, so you just have to remember a lot of birds. <laughs> um, magpies. Collingwood. Yeah, very good. Ah, yes, one out of Crows. One. The crow, Adelaide. <laughs> See, I'm doing well. The Cats, Geelong. Okay. All right, we don't need to do all that. West Coast. <laughs> Eagles. Very good. Fremantle. Okay. Dockers. And, an and we've lost everyone. Okay. Hello, listeners. It's the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. No, we're not switching to a winter AFL podcast or an NRL podcast. We are going to wrap up all the cricket news. We've got lots of listener questions, and then we're going to bring it on home with our special guest, Shane Watson. But let's start off 
we got a couple of questions from our listeners. The first one was Martin Lawrence from Victoria, who surprisingly wants us to talk about New South Wales being bowled <laughs> out for 32 against Tasmania. <laughs> and Jack Taylor said, can we get a mad menace? Well, I've got to say, I was ropeable when New South Wales were bowled out for 32 on the weekend against Tasmania. Very, very disappointing. Paul, you and I have seen a lot of New South Wales cricket in the last few years, but that is a the lowest ever score, terrible. Yeah, and amazing how quick it was. And it's one of those ones where every ball just seemed to... Um, you know, There's one, there one OBW that I thought was a bit uh, curious. I thought that maybe um, Sanger was a little bit unlucky. I thought he got outside the line of off. But yeah, Jackson Bird, wonderful bowler. feel a bit sorry for him because his last test match was that horrible wicket at the MCG uh, in 2017-18. He'd been in the squad, finally got in the match, and then it was that game that Alistair Cook got the double century on the flattest pitch of all time, and that's the last <laughs> test match that he's ever played. Uh, so really good bowler, so pleased for him. Um, got his top score as well. Um, so what a, what a day for Jackson Bird. What about the records that fell, Paul? You love your stats. I mean, run us through a few. Well, I mean, where can Give you Give us some context for this disgraceful performance. Well, as you've correctly put here, it's... Um, the, their previous lowest Sheffield Shield score was 53. But they've broken a record that predates the Sheffield Shield. I mean, that's just started yesterday, 1892 <laughs> um, They have broken their lowest ever score, which they set in 1868-69. That predates the Sheffield Shield. It predates the SCG. The game was at the Domain. It predates WG Grace growing a beard. If you ever see really young photos of him, he was 20 then. He had no beard. Very handsome man in his younger days. It was only New South Wales' 12th ever game. How can we do this? 32. And here's how the Sydney Morning Herald began their article back then. The intercolonial match for the season 1868-69 commenced yesterday in the domain under favourable under favorable circumstances. I include that quote because they mention it's the the intercolonial match for the season. New South Wales only played one game that season, better than the season before where they played none. The crowd on the first day, 10,000. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Um, and the paper wasn't shocked because um, Victoria the, had batted first, only made 61. <laughs> New South Wales then got 30, 37. Victoria 149. And New South Wales finished with 95. So Victoria won by 78 runs. And um, one last thing. That could get reported uh, pretty much instantaneously down to Victoria because there was an overland telegraph, but it had only been in for 10 years. So 10 years before that, if the game had been on, the only way that Victorians would have found out the score was when the boat came back with the, with the newspapers for New South Wales. That's how far back into the past we are. Wow. About this current team wishes that situation was <laughs> I think, current. Um, the, this um, game, though, it really shows – well. I guess New South Wales side of things really shows um, how it's such a mental game sometimes because then when the wickets start falling and you just can't get into any sort of rhythm and mentally you've just already lost. Oh, they've got the collapsing thing happening this year. New South Wales bowled out for sixty four against Tasmania before the Big Bash break. But Jalisa, you must admit, New South Wales got off very easy that it was the first weekend of the real footy last weekend because if, if New South Wales had been bowled out for yeah. thirty two and there wasn't AFL on, it would have been front page of the newspapers, leading off. Oh, the New York Times would have led with it. Exactly. Mate. <laughs> I don't know if it would have been front page of the newspapers, but I take your point. I think if there hadn't been NRL and AFL on, for sure it would have got a lot more of a run. So I'm sure they're happy to be slipping under mm. the radar at this late, uh, late stage. One little bonus is it's that awful. Tasmania have made a lower score than that. Their lowest score is 18. 
And the lowest score ever in first-class cricket in Australia is 15 from Victoria against the MCC in 1903-04. I I mean, you've got the stats here, and all the scores are from last century or... Yeah, a long, long time ago. (laughs) And... There's one score, 2004-5, South Australia bowled out for 29. So they're the only ones sort of who've currently done something as bad as New South Wales. But what I, what wounds me is that it's New South Wales. I mean, this should be not just like the, the best cricket state in Australia, but, you know, it's one of the best in the world. And, okay, a couple of players are out. Smith, Warner, There were quite Rick, a few players out, yeah. But still, 32. I mean, that is... They sh- head should roll. They should get the guillotine and just take them off. Well, on that front, on to my favourite topic. Here we go, Ollie Davies. It's time for Ollie Davies, surely. Yes. Oh, um, my now, I know he played a poor shot um, the other the <laughs> other day, although he batted really well in that game before he played that poor shot. But, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm in all in all seriousness, um, he averages 56.4 across the last two seasons in first grade for Manly, had a strike rate of 99.93. Now, if it was 99.94 then that would be guaranteed. He'd have to get in there because it's Bradman's average. But a strike rate of 100, averaging 56, that's not a player who's um, just a slogger. That's a player who can play. And he's only 20. And not to pick out, um, you know, I mean... Not Nick, to pick out, but I'm going no, to. Now, here are the players I'm going to pick out. I mean, <laughs> Nick Larkin, who I've heard him on podcast. I really like Nick Larkin. He sounds like a really nice guy. But he's about to turn 31. He averages 29.05 for New South Wales. I think that um, you'd have to say you're going to be better off with with going for a younger player. Now, I know he's an opening batsman, um, and he's averaging 45.63 in grade in the last two years. I thought I should check those stats to make sure that I'm not – that I am comparing apples with apples. Same thing with Jason Sanger. He's a young player, but in his 16 first-class games for New South Wales, he's only averaging 21.8. And then I felt obliged to check his first-grade stats in the last two years, and they completely ruined my argument. (laughs) He's averaging (laughs) 80.1. So I I read that out grudgingly, so maybe maybe I'm completely wrong. (laughs) Well... I think I can get behind Davies. I don't like your Nick Larkin is about to turn 31. I thought we weren't ageist here, Paul. (laughs) No, no, no. Um, I'm I'm saying that um, that shows he's had a a decent sample size. It's not like he's a – Yeah. Okay, right. I – because you're also about to turn 31, aren't you? No, I'm about to turn 27. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> Me that was too. weird. I didn't <laughs> I work like so that. So exciting. You're 27. <laughs> like. uh, so, yeah, I bring in Ollie Davies. Actually, Adam Gilchrist was interviewed by Matty White today, and he said he thinks one of the most exciting players in the country is Oliver Davies. I, I haven't got a feeling like this since I've watched Gilchrist. That when you watch him play, every ball is like, what's he going to do now? Um, you know, seeing him five sixes in a row did that. He hit six sixes in a row a few years ago in an underage comp. So, yeah, he's very exciting. Yeah, but a very I now live in the Manly area as well, so I'm kind of I've become. <laughs> you're a local. Go yeah. see Eagles. <laughs> well, that left the Sheffield Shield table. That what are they an AFL club? <laughs> um, Sheffield Shield table, Queensland and New South They're Wales. They're about to be if they keep playing like they are. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Queensland are up the top of the ladder. New South Wales second. So basically, New South Wales are leading the Marsh Cup table. They're second on the Shield. You could have a team bowled out for sixty-four and thirty-two, win both comps and the Big Bash, which would mean. They could win everything and still put in a performance like that. Next thing we'll have a team bowled out for 36, beating Australia in a test series here. That would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So that leaves Tasmania, WA and Victoria with this, especially WA and Victoria have very slim chances of making the Shield final. Now they'll need to win both their games and they'll need to hope New South Wales or Queensland don't add to their points tally. 
but yeah, Queensland, the favourites to host the final against a, a, a very inconsistent New South Wales. And, and good that Warner and Enriquez can take off the shield to rest up for their IPL club. I think that's nice that we're doing that for the IPL clubs now. It's very bitter of you, Menas. Very bitter. <laughs> I'm feeling bitter. Yeah, I mean, I think oh, I can see where you're coming from, but I can see where they're coming from as well, and I think it's just the way of the world. Yeah, it's a complicated season, but it, it does irk me. Jack, Jack wasn't wanted mad Menas. Well, I'm mad. I can tell you, Jack, I'm mad. <laughs> and, and finally, the March Cup. As I said, New South Wales are on top. Queensland, Tasmania in second and third WA just got a double bonus point as we came in here, so that will rocket them up the table. But with just five games being played, New South Wales in pole position in the Marsh Cup. So they are doing well despite the 32. We're going to take our first break and then we'll be back with the cricket headlines. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Welcome back. I'm Manners. I'm with Jaleesa and Paul, and it's the headlines time brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. Well, the first headline is an article written by Peter Lawler for the Daily Telegraph, and he has revealed that Aaron Finch had astigmatism, which is a common vision problem caused by an error in the shape of the cornea. With astigmatism, the lens of the eye or the cornea, which is in the front surface of the eye, has an irregular curve which causes blurry, fuzzy, or distorted vision. Not good if you're opening the batting for Australia. And explains a lot. (laughs) I have this as well, actually. I have a minor one. Maybe, because did you say he's he's going to have surgery or he's had surgery? So he's just had laser surgery, finally, and that will correct the problem. Imagine if I did that and suddenly it was brilliant. I'd be really regretting that I didn't do it 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I've heard, I've heard that that's the only thing keeping you from the that's, Australian I've heard team. that as well. Yeah. I've heard rumours. There's word. But just incredible that that, that, that that would sort of be affecting him for so long. And um, no wonder he was not playing very well. I wonder how when he knew this, when uh, when he figured it out, like if he knew that whole time – when he wasn't going well, that he was suffering with that, or was it something that he? Yeah, went, th- what's going on? Yeah, no, I think he knew because um, Simon Kadich was talking recently, and I think he started to know last year, but okay. he just couldn't take a break and get it sorted out. So look, um, it also um, in the article they point out that Don Bradman was colorblind, and somebody asked him how he saw the red ball against certain backgrounds, and he responded that he'd only ever noticed its size, not its color. That's news to me. Mm. I've, I've read I've never heard that. everything that I've possibly been able to get my hands on on Don Bradman, including his autobiography where he talks about his eyesight, and he never mentioned the colour blindness. So I'm not I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's it's news to me. And I I googled it today. I couldn't find any reference to wow. it. Really? I, yeah. Because I, I was would... just about to Google that and go. Well, I've never heard this before either. So. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's not true. Um, but just um, I'm saying interesting. Yeah. So Paul's not 100 percent sure on that one. And uh, please write in if you can fact check that. Uh, and Virat Kohli apparently wears contacts on the field. Rumoured oh, no, to. I can see here there is a few sources that say he's colourblind. Are you sure though? Because that, that, oh. it, was, it was referring to Bill Ponsford as well? Yeah. Yeah, that's Bill Ponsford. Oh, really? You've got to click the article. Oh, bullshit. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of... I don't do that. read. Give me the headline and sensationalise it or nothing. All right, the next cricket headline. The worst use of the DRS system ever (laughs) by Channel 7. 
Uh, they will never use DRS again, I hope, because it's cost them $10 million. <laughs> they were offered a $15 million discount by Cricket Australia before the summer. They declined it. They went upstairs to the DRS system and the third umpire said, look, you're only going to get a $5 million discount. So there you go. What are you talking about? Is this anything to do with DRS? Well, it's not real DRS. It's actually a, oh, a, I was like, a an arbitration or, committee. A, so my, my brain went to like, are they... What? Have they introduced DRS into life? No. Yes. Because <laughs> I could really use that. Yeah. Um, you didn't clean up the kitchen. DRS. <laughs> DRS. Um, no, I thought you meant that they were getting a discount on DRS as no. in the cameras. No, sorry. Like, and I was sorry, like, what humor. are you talking about? Anyway, sorry. Clarify that. So they what? They, they went to an arbitration they went through arbitration for the oh, okay. the, yeah. the rights. This is discount. when they're having all their yeah. and it, and as I said, they were offered fifteen million dollars. They declined it. They went to DRS arbitration for Jaleesa, and then not real. And, <laughs> and then they the arbitrate whatever. They only said it was five million dollar discount. So they cost themselves ten million dollars by going upstairs. Yeah, right. Uh, reports nine and ten were approached during the dispute. Yeah, your well, former work and your new work. My new yeah. So you could be doing the big bash at ten. We need Channel 19 so I can work for both because <laughs> I miss everyone, but I want to work with everyone. <laughs> Have you finished at nine yet? No, I've still got two and a half more weeks. Okay, so you can still see Jaleesa on the news every night. Oh, well, then you can see me at 10. Tune your channels. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's, um, it's sad, though, that uh, – I, I, was it Robert Craddock a couple of weeks ago saying, in his opinion, Channel 7 will never want to have cricket again once the rights expire. When you've only got three free-to-air networks – you haven't got much to, to choose from. And I know that soon it will be all streaming and mm. a brave new world. But at the moment still, um, you don't want to be offending the... Um, I mean, it doesn't sound like Cricket Australia did much wrong in the end. That if they were um, vindicated in the court case, then, well, maybe Channel 7's the, the ones that need to have a look at themselves. Well, especially when uh, 9's already sort of locked up the rights to so many other things. So, you know, it does leave limited options. Channel 10 with that CBS money needs to pony up and get all the cricket. I'd be on board with that. That's right. All right. That's my first job. That's your first job. (laughs) That and Shield Cricket getting more coverage, please. (laughs) Yeah, right. Just do that in your first meeting. I'm I'm just going to go in like... Is there a cooling off period? Because wait till that's over <laughs> yeah, before you run that Wait line. till my three months. <laughs> if I get fired within three months, you know I went too hard. <laughs> All right, the next headline. And this is from an article by Joe Barton in the Daily Telegraph, former panellist on this show. So Shane Warne has actually come on board with my um, prediction that the Ashes next summer could be fiercely contested. And this is what Warney said. I think this will be one of the closest Ashes series for a long time. And he's urged Australia to heed the lesson lessons learned from their Indian failure. And, he, and he's, this is the quote that gets me. At times through this summer, they just got scared of losing and they just went defensive rather than attack. And the Australian way is to attack. And he points out that with England coming with Archer and Anderson and Stokes as their their quick bowlers, that's a dangerous lineup just there. You're not even talking about Broad and the rest. So, yeah, I'm with Warney. I think next summer Australia is in a lot of trouble. I wouldn't go as far as to say a lot of trouble, but I I agree with him that it could be a really hotly contested series. And I also agree that Australia were too defensive, specifically just in terms of batting slowly. Mm, I think that they need to put the foot down a little bit more. and when you when you think back to those ashes of 2017-18, I've always said that 4-0 sounds like a thrashing. But my memory is that each game, England were in it for a long way. And it was kind of a um, an arm wrestle that 
ultimately maybe 4-0 flattered Australia a little bit. If England had had a little bit more luck, maybe it could have been closer. So it needs to be closer. We've talked before on this panel that you exclude 2010-11, England's record in Australia in the last living memory, or not quite living memory, but last 20 or 30 years is deplorable. So They haven't won a test in Australia since that tour. And they didn't win one in the, in the tour before that, and the tour before that they won one. So this century you take out 2010-11, England's record is just gargantuanly terrible. Um, so the Ashes needs a really close contest. It would be great to have one. Are you nervous, Jaleesa, like Warney? I'm uh, probably not as nervous as Warney is, but I, I agree reflecting on um, the way Australia played against India, we certainly can't take the same kind of tactics in. And I don't think they would either because they were torn apart because of it. Mm, I just don't know whether Australia has that ability now to sort of fight back. It seems like as soon as India started to really, you know, claw their way into the series, we just got to run out of answers. I think there'll be a lot of uh, – I think there was definitely the mentality that we were going to completely roll India, particularly with our fast bowlers that we've got. And I think it's just um, probably we got a, gave, gave us a bit of a shake-up with you can't actually rely on the bowlers because when it's not happening, it's not happening. Um, and you're going to have to find different ways to win. Mm. Which well, we didn't do. We didn't. Yep. So Warney, he's he's put out the warning for next summer. Then at mini rant time. Um, in the Sydney Morning Herald, Andrew Wu wrote that so he's talking about the fact that Australia is potentially going to play Ireland in a home test match the summer after next. So he said, if the Ireland fixture is rubber stamped by the two boards, it would result in Australia hosting a test minnow in consecutive summers, giving its reputation abroad a much needed boost. So um, the the other one he's talking about is that the Afghanistan test match this coming summer is is looking confirmed. And my point is, well, that's great that we're going to host Ireland, but our our reputation surely is worse than that, that we can't improve it by having one extra test match against a so-called minnow because our reputation is terrible because we only play the sides that, that we want to play. Now, I'm not talking about the cancellation of South Africa. I think that was the un- unfortunate but the right thing to do. But just picking on two relationships, that it's been covered before, but it's worth covering again. Bangladesh, 2003 was the last time we hosted Bangladesh in a test match. It was also the first time we hosted Bangladesh in a test match. We've only ever played two test matches against them in this country. Bangladesh has 170 million people. They're the eighth most populous nation in the world. One day, they'll be more powerful than us as far as cricket, and they'll look back and say, we're not going to do you any favours. You didn't do us any, we're not going to do you any. But the other That's the way India feels about Australia now. Exactly. You can look exactly at that, and we we, we didn't do India many favours in the past either. But the other one next door, I just find this stat amazing. New Zealand, we have played 26 tests in New Zealand. Not in the last few years, not this ever. In the history of Earth, the Australian men's team has only ever played 26 test matches in New Zealand. We've played 25 test matches in England in the last 16 years. We have have no test matches scheduled as far as the Future Tours program goes in New Zealand. So that goes another two years. So in two years' time, we'll be able to look back and say, in the last 13 years, we have played two test matches in New Zealand. Now, we only make money, I think, when England and India come out here. We've got a budding rivalry on our doorstep that we really should be giving the love. India, New Zealand, when they came out here, lots of fans came out. Um, They're now the number one test side in the world. I know they haven't done very well in test matches against us, but we don't really give them much of an opportunity. In the 1800s, England hosted minnows nine times, and that minnow was called Australia. Um, We host. They hosted us, mate. There's no one else. Yeah, but also in 1800s, they're not negotiating broadcast deals either. 
No, no, but I'm saying we'll get to that. But um, <laughs> the, they hosted us nine times for 24 tests and we won four. We were terrible and yet they kept on inviting us. And as a result, they now have this flourishing rivalry. If we had treated New Zealand better then and uh, had really encouraged them and had lots of series against them, we'd have higher broadcasting rights because it's a ready-made, um, it's a ready-made rivalry with all the other sports. And We like the Bladers Low Cup. Yeah, uh, well, good knowledge, Menace. Very good. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Everyone's losing interest in that as well, but sure. <laughs> not in New Zealand, they're not. Not in New Zealand, no. We're losing interest over here. <laughs> anyway, so it's a bit of a disjointed rant to say, I know it's tough, but we can't just I keep just on. Got that. We haven't won the Bledisloe Cup for ages, have we? That's, That's correct. Sorry. Yeah, we did. Continue. You did really well. <laughs> I wasn't sure of the job. reference. Yeah. Uh, we can't just keep on playing England and India and no one else. Thoughts, Jaleesa? Do we give our Kiwi well, neighbours enough love? Uh, I don't think – no, I, I do take Paul's point. I don't think we give our Kiwi neighbours enough love because I would like to see us play our Kiwi neighbours a lot. But when you're looking at these kind of things and how these things are decided, I'm sorry, but unfortunately not a lot of people – commercially, it's not attractive to play Bangladesh. It just isn't. Mm. And probably commercially over, you know, selling the rights over there it is. But for our TV networks here, you're just never going to be able to – Cricket Australia is never going to be able to walk in and go, this is this blockbuster summer we've got when you've got – Okay, but also, can we play India? Can we can we play England? So, I think definitely a lot of it now is commercially driven. I but I think there probably is an appetite there for New Zealand a bit more. That because of the rivalry, but not not even just that because just because there's a lot of, um, you know, crossover between the Kiwis here and mm. and we're over there and um and just the close proximity. I think there's a probably a little bit of a rivalry there that hasn't been teased out as much as it probably could be. But I think with some of the other nations, it's just not commercially attractive. But it will be commercially attractive at some point. And we, if we're but just con- consistently only short-termist, that's what we did with India. We, we hosted India so infrequently. We had them out here in 91, 92, didn't get them out again till 99, 2000, uh, and then suddenly realised, oh, geez, there's a lot of money to be made, and we, we got them out a whole lot more. I know your point. Like, we're not saying have a five-test match series against Bangladesh and, you know, the, the TV rights would be appalling, but we do need to at least squeeze them in for some winter tours or, or something to, to at least show them some love so that, uh, A, it's the right thing to do, and, B, when they eventually probably do get more powerful, then um, maybe they'll think more kindly of us. Yeah, I see your point. I just think it's going to – you can't really walk into – TV execs and go, okay, so we're going to play Bangladesh now. I know that shit now, but in 30 years, you're going to feel like it's... You're going to thank us. You're going to thank us. And they go, we don't care because we're here now and we want to know what's... Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying don't worry about that now. Just say, okay, we're playing Bangladesh in in July in Darwin and we're not expecting to get much money for it, but it doesn't cost us that much either. Mm. It does cost networks a lot to cover cricket. No, don't cover it then. I'm saying if, if the Australian don't networks don't it. if the Australian networks don't want to cover it, I'm saying we need to play Bangladesh more. And if they don't want right. to cover it, if they think it's not worthy of, of them covering it, okay. then we've just got to play some test matches with them to, to give the rivalry some love, to, to not be the pariahs of the, of the sport internationally. If you're not covering, though, where's the money coming in for Cricket Australia? No, but I'm saying it's it's like the Sheffield Shield that you you lose on that that you you just need to have some test matches against Bangladesh even if you don't make much money off them or even if even if you lose at the moment I think you lose every chef, every test series we have except when we play India or England we lose on all of them yeah we do so yeah. we shouldn't play South Africa we shouldn't play New Zealand we shouldn't play Pakistan we shouldn't play Sri Lanka um, that 
you know, we should only play England and India if it's going to be down to uh, money. But I'm saying long term, that's a that's a, a strategy that sort of condenses the sport in a um, an unhealthy way. So I'm, I'm saying you don't go crazy and, as I said, have a five test series against Bangladesh and try to sell it. You've got to do a little bit more than what we're doing and haven't had them out here for 18 years. Surely you could sell rights playing Bangladesh here to Bangladesh if you're saying there's 170 million people. Yeah, of course. You yeah, must watch TV. Yeah. Um, I. I think that the the what I get on board with Paul is they need to start to you're right carve out some time to play teams like this, mm. and it's clear we can't fit them into the summer. That's never going to happen. There's the big bash. There's the, in, the big international tours. They are not going to block off time in the the peak of cricket season to play a, a smaller nation. But as you say, if they could work out something. In winter venues up north, perhaps where was it Darwin, Cairns, somewhere like that, make those venues really excited to have the test matches. Mm. Perhaps you could, um, you know, sort of build up that sort of culture where fans know that every year there's going to be a winter series against a smaller nation, and half our players aren't there because they're at the IPL. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Mm, yeah. <laughs> All right, the final headline. Well. History has been made for New South Wales and not quite as bad as being bowled out for 32, but the New South Wales Breakers missed their first ever Women's National Cricket League final. Incredibly, there have been 24 WNCL finals. New South Wales have been in every one until this year. And this year um, they've missed out and they will not be in the final. Yeah, I mean, what Victoria a, v Queensland is the final. What a tremendous run! Twenty-three years. That's um, it has to come to an end uh, eventually. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we'll be back with some great questions from the listeners. And then can't let it go. I just want to remind you all that we're launching our Patreon page. So there's a link tree link in the show notes that will take you to the Patreon, our merchandise, bonus episodes, the whole thing. So have a look in the show notes for that link. We are selling merchandise. It's just not. We haven't sold one t-shirt. Yet. <laughs> we haven't sold one t-shirt yet. It's it's DRS themed. You're not meant to mention that. We, you know, we've sold thousands. Like I, you get them before they run out. I haven't seen a single person today not wearing one of well, our t-shirts, except uh, for us three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, oh my gosh, mine's at home. You look great in it, Julissa. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. We'll MS Donnie rang me yesterday. We'll come up with some new designs. One. We're going to be releasing new T-shirts every month. So, um, if you want a DRS, I've got good design ideas. Thank I think you. you guys should have come to me. We, we still will. We still <laughs> will. <laughs> Don't worry, we will after the way the first lot have gone. Now well, I designed Paul's idea. I designed the first lot. That's why he's um he's saying this. Now, have you seen <laughs> the first lot? I have. Yeah. Now, what are your thoughts on them? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to edit this bit out. Uh, What's that, Julissa? They're fantastic. They're very <laughs> funny, but maybe not wearable. They, what, um, what you're saying is they have an, a global audience of one. They <laughs> cover the bits you need covered. <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right, on that note, we'll take a break. <laughs> We're back. It's viewer mail time. So we put out the call today for some questions and Nicholas Riggle has written in a question. Do you want to read this one out, Paul? Given the amount of rain that traditionally falls in Queensland and New South Wales around this time of year compared to the other states, would you support front-loading home games in those states earlier in the summer to allow the best chance for as many matches to be not be impacted by rain? Good question. I had actually Ooh, stats. always thought that... Can I just inter interject here quickly? I had a 10-minute monologue on rainfall. 
But I know, but before I interject, I just want to tell the listeners that <laughs> Paul's second passion is weather. But only temperature. Temperature, not rain. Do you have the Weather Underground app? I think I do, yeah. It's so yeah. good. Anyway, go on. Sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, I would say... Weather Underground are not paying me either. Um, uh, rainfall is my profession. Temperature is my passion. Ah, okay. Because rainfall is when I need to know about rainfall to know whether it's going to be a draw or not in the cricket. But that's... I don't love doing that. Temperature is my true passion. But okay. anyway... Um, so, it's a good point from, from Nicholas because he's actually right, and I didn't realise this, that the rainfall in uh, especially Brisbane in February, March and April is, is really very uh, much higher than it is uh, a little bit earlier on. So if you, if you played extra Sheffield Shield games in, uh, say, September and October and November in, in Queensland and maybe in New South Wales and then had the rest of the season in the other states, that would work from a let's minimise as many rain interruptions days as we, as we can. It probably wouldn't work from a whole, from a whole host of other reasons, but uh, interesting point. I like it. Um, but the season would normally be over by now. Um, I guess that's worth pointing out that the season is running a good month over what it normally mm. would. Mm. Now, Marcus Williams. Here we go. Mad Men is his back. How about a discussion on putting to bed any talk of changing test captain? Payne has done a great job all in all. Recent form is solid and I can't see a definite replacement at this stage for him anyway. Then he's gone on to say that... No, I want to read you to read that. You read that. You read that. Should Steve Smith replace him? Awesome batsman and fantastic cricket talent. But for me, his temperament and display of emotions on the field too often bubble over and perhaps cloud his decisions. The captain has to look calm, in control, brackets even if he isn't, as the whole team feeds off his demeanour and body language. Might sound like harsh criticism, but he is such... An emotionally invested cricketer on the field that I think captaincy just doesn't suit him. Only my opinion, of course, but could be a discussion. Cheers. Great podcast, by the way. I never miss it. Oh, thanks, Marcus. Yeah, thank you, Marcus. Um, we'll never miss it. Like two weeks ago, I said I wanted to sack pain, and now he's saying we shouldn't talk about it. No, okay. Well, first of all, thank you, Marcus. That's some really nice yes. um, feedback. Unfortunately, I disagree with you. Okay. <laughs> um, but at least you're doing it politely. Men, is, every time a, f- a listener sends in I something know. nice, you have a go at them. Where like, we lose? I love yes. Marcus. But I know, Marcus. Marcus, Marcus, Venice is angry that you haven't committed every podcast to memory. Marcus Pain should be sacked. Marcus, the way that I like to think about the podcast is you come for Venice, you stay for me and Paul. <laughs> um, but when... I think they come for you and they stay for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so I found it really interesting that he's saying that... Um, that Steve Smith is too emotional because I think that's exactly what we saw Payne as in against India. Like I thought Payne, the whole team fed off Payne getting agitated and frustrated and letting his whole emotions take over every decision. And just, I I think that actually Steve Smith in comparison is quite calm when he probably, do you know what? I think he he hasn't been as calm since he hasn't been captain because he's been allowed to be a little bit more emotional. No, he was, I don't know if you remember the tour of Sri Lanka a few oh, years ago yeah. where he well, lost his rank. I think that's a legitimate criticism of Smith, but you would hope that um, getting sacked as captain and bringing the greatest scandal on Australian cricket has changed him a little bit. And if he would be given the captaincy, it would be better than last time. Yeah. I, look, I don't think he should have the captaincy again okay. um, just because I think you get a shot at it and if – yeah, and you know, a lot of people feel that. Yeah, way. I just I one don't ch- one strike you're out. Well, yeah, I don't, and not not to punish him, but just I think you've had your time, and yep. and now it's time for you someone had your else. Chance didn't work out, but I'm not sure that um, he's got a better temper. He's got a worse temperament than than pain because I actually find pain 
got way too agitated and way too frustrated and, 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 it, and it was awful to watch. It made yeah. me uncomfortable. And why shouldn't we be talking about replacing him? Whether they do or don't, there are a lot of good options to replace Payne. He did not do a good job as captain against India. He did not do a great job at Headingley. Uh, I'm sorry, but you can discuss it, whether he keeps the job or not. But Kerry, Inglis, there's legitimate contenders for Payne's position I want to hear Marcus come back at us on this, though. I want to hear, Mike, what he thinks of what we just said. I'm happy enough with pain at the moment and for the next couple of years. I probably would... So you don't like winning? Like you don't like when a team wins? (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you're saying? Why don't you like Australia, Paul? I don't understand. (laughs) Yes, I'm a secret agent for India, actually. Um, No, but um, I'm happy enough with him for the next couple of years. And beyond that, I probably would prefer Cummins to Smith. um, But I'm... um, you know, if Smith ends up getting it back again, it wouldn't be the worst thing. I'm not um, – when you say there's a lot of options, I actually don't feel like there is. Who's the wicketkeeper position. Oh, I'm for, you about. Not, not the captaincy. captaincy. Oh, there's okay. a little bit more complicated. I yeah. still wouldn't mind Smith being it. I like Cummins. But I just don't – I think we should be talking about it because Payne has – tactically, he's not great. I want to see Payne absolutely roll England and go out with a bang and then we can all look back on this and go – we were so wrong. And I Mark, hope so. And I Marcus love was it. right. I hope Marcus is right. <laughs> and Ma- Paul was right. Payne is in career best form with the bat. He scored, I think, 87 against New South Wales last match. So he is batting better than he's ever batted. And I think the reason I just I was wondering why I'm so, I'm so dispassionate about this, and it's, um, it brings me to Richie Benno's old quote, that captaincy is 90% luck and 10% skill. Um, skill. Don't try it without the 10%. I think that... Um, I strongly think that the 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 impact of the captaincy is so overrated and over, overstated. Um, yeah, that's true. But I don't so, think Payne has the ten percent. That's the problem. I think he's got like seven. You know, one of the things that Benno characterised as the ten percent was decisiveness. And he said, if you're someone who's wondering, should I have scrambled eggs or should I have fried eggs? And he's going, yeah. Or if you don't know which lane in the motorway to get on. And I thought straight away, that's me. Uh-huh. That's, yeah, that's me well, as well. So if your eyes do I get w- I would today. go for both the eggs. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next question from Danny Ando. He knows me very well because he wrote, is Rakeem Cornwall the greatest all-rounder of all time? Well, I'm not sure he's the greatest all-rounder of all time, but he, he did have a Babe Ruth style um, calling his shot before the latest test match he's playing against Bang- uh, Sri Lanka. He told a local reporter before the match to tell the world I've come to make a score. And he was dropped to nine in the batting order, but as we record this, he's 60 not out. Good on him too. Nice. Do you don't know who the greatest all rounder in the world is ever? You go. Stax Callis. Is no. there is there stats? Yep, Don Bradman. Okay. Um, his average of a hundred is so good that uh, you know it over it overarches everything, and he's the best. So you take um, Gary Sobers, who people often say average fifty seven with the bat. So that's Bradman's forty three better. Gary Sobers' bowling average is 34. Who would you want? A bowler who averages 34 or a batsman who averages 43? I'll take the batsman who averages 43. Bradman's the best all-rounder ever. Thank you. <laughs> Smart ass. Thank you and good night. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Matt Webber. Has Pete Hanscom got his <clears throat> technique in order to return to the Australian test team's middle order? Jaleesa. Well, I think, first of all, yeah, yeah look, I'm not against um, Hanscom returning, but I think you've always got to remember the mentality of the Australian cricket team that you have to do a lot to lose your spots. Someone has to lose their spot. Who would lose their spot? Well, I'm not sure about who's going to lose his spot, but I do think that when he goes to Middlesex this winter and plays on English wickets – 
that'll really sort of test his technique because mm. he, he did show Just, a bit of a yeah. weakness against the moving ball. So I, I think if he scores a lot of runs for Middlesex um, this summer in England against the county bowlers, I think then he's, he's a legitimate chance to get back in the team. He is trending in the right direction. I think um, I, I said it a few weeks ago that if he, he'd need to do something pretty good to, to, to impress me again. Average of 38.25. He's about to turn 30. He's had a long career. That's not an amazing number, but um, averaging 53 this season is very impressive. You I look, don't hate the idea. Look back at his previous years in Australia. 17-18, average 33. Next year, average 36. Next year, average 27. This year, averaging 53. I'd need to see... Um, another season or two of that, and then I couldn't care less about his technique. Season I think or that, two, um, he's getting a bit old. Uh, no, well, uh, <laughs> I think you were saying not to be ageist. Um, was oh, that me, Greg? Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. yeah, I agree. That's overblown. Because he doesn't bat like everybody else, he's not going to score runs. Yeah, yeah, I just want him, yeah. yeah, if he gets the runs, then bring him in. Steve Smith would never have been picked if that was the... True. Yeah. Final question, a joke here from Benny Hearn. How about a wrap-up of grade cricket from the individual states? I'm on board. I'm on board with that, yeah. Okay, great. Well, I'll start with um, no. Um, also, I, we had one that came on through my Twitter. Scott um, Stein said, would love it if you guys can do an all-time best ever T20 Australian team. I think we should flag that. Yeah, let's do, do it, it next I'm week. I'm going to like that right now so I can remember. We'll do that next week. What was his name? Scott Stein. Stein. Is it Stein. Scott Stein. Dale Stein's younger brother. Good to see he's a listener. <laughs> all right, now let's get on to Can't Let It Go. Jaleesa. Oh, can I go last, actually? Yes, Paul. Okay. Um, the one bit of cricket news we just can't let go through to the keeper. Here it is. I thought I was going to have some fun and in sort of in a, in a masochistic sort of way and say, well, New South Wales is uh, 32, has got them into the all-time list for lowest um, first-class scores. But, geez, there's been some low scores. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, it has been going for a quarter of a millennium and they've had 60,000 games, so you'd expect that. 60,000? I know. Um Cricket Archive uh, cuts the list off at 29. If, you, if you're not 29 or low, you don't... So or South lower. Australia make it, fortunately. Yes. There have been 158 scores of 29 or lower in that 250-year history. So New South Wales don't make it. But the, the winning score um, is by a team called the Bees against England. Bees as in the letter B against England <laughs> at Lord's Old Ground on the 12th of June, 1810. And they were all out for six Joe Barton saw that his namesake was playing in that game. He saw Jay Barton got a duck and he was very proud of that. So I'm not sure if there's any relation there. But, um, yeah, Lord's Old Ground, that's before Lord's. And it was the almost um, the last game ever played at Lord's Old Ground. Two months later, Thomas Lord wasn't happy with the rent and uh, kicked it in and moved across. And um, a few years later, the new Lord's Ground was established in 1814. So there you go. Wow. Doesn't make me feel any better about the 32. You want me to be modern. um, (laughs) And the reason it took a couple of years longer was that cricket was really lost all favour because the Napoleonic Wars were on and people were worried about that. I thought so. I did think about that. I thought Napoleonic Wars. (laughs) Definitely. That's a a first. I don't think in the 500 episodes of this podcast, the Napoleonic Wars have never been mentioned. So congratulations on that achievement. All right, my can't let it go is I was listening to our good friends, Gideon Hay and Pete Lawler, their podcast, Mm. and they had Damien Fleming on and they were reflecting on the 2001 Indian tour. Now, Jaleesa's not going to add a lot to this discussion, Um, but it was a brilliant tour for the listeners out there that remember one of the greatest test tours ever. 
um, as close as you can get to the 2005 Ashes in excitement and quality. Would you agree with that, Paul? Yep, I agree with that. It was um, the second best test series I've ever seen. And so wow. Gideon Hay said that it's, it's an interesting point because that is a turning point in Australia-India test cricket because f- since that famous Kolkata partnership between Dravid and Laxman, India are one of the few sides that have a winning record against us. So they've played, since then, they've played 44 tests against us. They've won 20, India, and we've only won 15, and then it's been 11 draws. Going into that Calcutta test, there'd been 58 tests played. Australia had won 29 and just lost 11. But that partnership between Dravid and Laxman not just turned the tide of that test series, but it can be viewed as turning the tide between the, the test fortunes of the nations. And, and you're going to hate me for this, but it's probably going to stay that way. Um, oh. Because I've said it before. The few people have. have pointed out that to me, by the way. 1.4 like billion people. That listen. Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul's right. Paul's right. You're never going to beat India. <laughs> well, nor you, England. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's, it's not having us in isolation. Yeah. It, it may get to the point where um, we might look back on these last, um, in that period since 2001, as the last golden era where we were somewhat competitive against them. I, am, <laughs> I hope that's wrong. England have a, a winning record against India in the same period. They've won 16 and just lost 15. All right, Jaleesa. Yes, I first. Well, I have two. Great. Um, Make up for the, all the weeks you don't have Because I'm like them. either zero or 100, <laughs> you yes, know. Yes, we know. Uh, well, first of all, this isn't really a can't let it go, but I just wanted to give a shout out to all the grassroots cricketers who the rain has ruined their finals because it was probably like this weekend. Mm, I think some have been rescheduled for the coming weekend. Some, weekends. but not all of them have. I might, I might be commentating on the women's premier cricket final. Right, okay. Big, big gig, well, big some, gig. but not all, because I know Paul Lane Cove Cricket Club, I think they, they had a few in few different grades and it went on a count back and they... <sighs> Who cares? I Lane mean, it, no, Cricket it's... Club. I care. I care as well, Menace. I, I care as oh. well. I care as well. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm just going to say, but how good would it be if you'd been the minor premiers and you won on a countback? <laughs> oh and you no, didn't have to that, play the no, grand that's unsatisfied. That's a hollow victory. No, it's not. It's that's a, a hollow victory. Because you look at the forecast and say, all right, boys, we, we we might have a couple of quiet beers on Friday night because we don't have to worry about playing on Saturday. Why would you have quiet ones? Just go for the full hog. <laughs> and they're probably already having. No, quiet, it, it is quiet disappointing. Ones. I know no, they really they work all. It's like when, when you and I've been. You build up to those big. Exactly. Games. Exactly, and, and, and you like, know, oh. you've, you've got your job all week, and you look forward to it. Now, like yeah. You, yeah, and this is you know, well, yeah, you backtrack. No, because these these are people that are they're, they're giving up every weekend to play cricket. Yep. they're not like getting paid, and of then, course not. You know, you ki- you give up a lot of your your time, yeah, and then it rained out. And and you people think losing about, their houses, think and about animals dying. Okay, I'm sorry for that. That's sad. <laughs> You know, no, of course, a lot of people have lost their houses and everything. That's quite sad. But also, I feel sorry. For <laughs> oh, they've lost the final, Lane Cove. This is, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm, this is a walkout. You almost reached across and punched him then. That would have, been, I would have yeah. been. It's going to happen one day. <laughs> that's, that's what the video's that's for. Like, that's why we introduced the video. <laughs> okay. Um, my other can't let it go is Danushka Gunathalika, Sri Lanka batsman, was in the first ODI against West Indies, was actually out for obstructing the field. And it's just, I saw that. Yeah, and it's just one of those ones that we don't see a lot of. And watching it back too, so what happened was um, Karen Pollard was essentially was bowling a short ball and that he went to run and then sort of he called the run and then he went, oh, no, hang on, went to go back. And as he's walked back, he stepped on the ball 
And he it, kind of blocked Pollard from getting to the like, ball, yeah, but not intentionally. But not intentionally. That's the thing. And so then it went upstairs and they had a look at it um, and deemed him to be well, out. It doesn't have to be intentional, does it? No, it does have to be intentional. Okay, so if it does have to be intentional, that was a bad no, decision. No, I thought it was a bad decision. I'm sure it's meant to be. Yeah, you're right. It's supposed I'm, to be intentional. I'm sure I, it's meant to be intentional. I've got to admit, I don't know. Okay. And, and look, I think it's supposed I to be intentional. I think it's supposed to be intentional. I'm shameful, my, but I don't know. My, um, my understanding of the rule is that it does need to be intentional. And he, what actually I think got him was when he walked back, he sort of looked down and then stepped on the ball. But I think well, his foot was sort of already in motion. So that's what they deemed to be my understanding is that's what they deemed to be intentional because he looked down and then he stepped on the ball. But I think it was more he went to run back, went to step and then realised, hang on a second, there might be a ball there and sort of didn't want to fall over and has stepped on the ball. So I thought it was a pretty tough call. But also uh, one of the sort of ways that we don't really see people get out now. Yeah, where? Did you see, I was going to say about that one, did you see today as we record this, Kyle Jamieson took a ball, a court and bowled in his follow through and then he used put the ball on the ground as he landed to sort of break his fall. No, he caught the I ball. didn't see that. He caught the ball cleanly, but it's given not out because he can't land on the ball. Mm. Uh, and people go, oh, it should be given out. Even Fox Cricket tweeted, oh, that's disgraceful. And they were like, well, no, like you can't catch the ball and then use it to, you know, land on the ground. Yeah. We're going to end today's show with an excerpt from our Shane Watson Patreon interview. So I've started a new show for the Patreon page every month. It's called Men as Masterclass. I'll be interviewing a special guest. And the first guest is Shane Watson, who played 59 tests, 190 ODIs and 58 T20 internationals. He won two World Cups and is the only Australian player to ever captain Australia in all three formats and score a century in all three formats. Um, So Shane Watson's joining me now. Head to t20stars.com for all his new endeavours, includes his merchandise, he's selling cricket equipment, he's got his podcast there, so head to t20stars.com. Here's Shane Watson. Shane, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have another podcaster in (laughs) studio. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Thanks so much for having me. Uh, just an amazing record. Do you do you sort of look over your numbers now that you've retired? Not really. No, not really. Apart from I suppose the just the games that I play is probably the thing that stands out. And I always do when I look back now that I've stopped playing altogether. I, I really do um, don't take for granted how fortunate I was to be able to have such a long career. Um, it was definitely I had a lot of injuries and challenges through that through those periods, through my career. But still, yeah, to be able to have that longevity, uh, it's I feel very fortunate. There's no question. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to the beginning. Now, I know your parents have been a really strong influence in your life. Mm. Your dad uh, was in the air force. Your mum mm. a teacher at your school uh, in the admin at your school. Yep. It seems like they gave you a really solid grounding um, that has never really left you. And, and I can only imagine how important that was as you sort of tried to ne- sort of negotiate your, your career through, um, you know, the international um, cricket calendar. Mm. Yeah, uh, mum and dad were always, yeah, well, gave me an incredible, incredible foundation in my life and, and the values that they instilled in me um, and also my environment that I grew up in, in around Ipswich, growing, growing up in Ipswich as well, was a very much a, a, small, a sporting community in a big way. There was a lot of was a number of um, heroes that had come out of Ipswich as well that I um, aspired to be like. And and the support that mum and dad always gave me, I never felt like 
well, I always felt like I had the opportunities. If an opportunity arose with cricket or rugby and, and school as well, for example, like for them to be able to sacrifice what they had to do to be able to put me through um, Ipswich Grammar School at that time is one of the reasons why mum worked at the school as well because we got Get a bit a of discount. a discount, discount <laughs> on the fees. So, you know, there's, there's the different sacrifice mum and dad made to be able to give me all the opportunities that they could, that they possibly could, whether it was through time like with my dad to be able to sort of drive me, especially to and from cricket, and then be involved in Ipswich Junior Cricket up until then I moved on. But dad still stayed there coaching Ipswich Junior Cricket until I was in my 20s as well. So the the time that they spent, but also then the sacrifice they made for me to have the best opportunities I possibly could. And that really gave me a really a super solid foundation of for my life. And then, yeah, negotiating a very different world of international cricket. (laughs) If I probably, if I didn't have that foundation, you can easily, I could have easily sort of um, gone up and down a lot more than, than what I did. And you um, ever get like pulled away from your moral compass, like at any time? No, not, not really. Like there's definitely things out there that can challenge that, Mm. but no, no, I was just so, I was so determined to be the best cricketer that I could be. And that's how it would have been. Um, outside of my study, because that was re- like super important through high school, but outside of that, it was it was always I just wanted to be the best cricketer I could be, and whatever sacrifice I had to make, that didn't that didn't worry me whatsoever. I just wanted to be the give myself the best chance of being the best cricketer I could be. So, yeah, there's always temptations out there, but nah, my priority was always my priority was always my my cricket, and um, and sticking strong to what my morals always were. Um, so that was. I've always found that pretty easy. So, Test Debut, 2005, against Pakistan at the SCG. I was fortunate enough to be at every day of that Test match, so I remember it very well. Mm. And uh, I'm curious, how were you given the news that finally you were going to get the baggy green? Because you've been in and around the, the squad, you played a lot of limited overs cricket up until then. What was so Who told you that you were going to be in the 11, and what was that moment like? Yeah, so it was it was a guy for, who was head of operations at Cree Australia called Michael Brown, who was there yep. for quite a long period of time. He rang me while I was actually on holiday up at Hamilton Island, uh, thinking I was going to have some time off over over Christmas and New Year, and just rang and said, "You've yeah, you're in the in the twelve for the Sydney Test match, and the yeah, the likelihood is it that you're going to most probably play." And just yeah, that whole that whole time was just because my dream was always to to wear the baggy green to be able to play a test match. Um, to be able to get that news, just something that I always worked so hard for and just like dreamed about it for such a long period of time. And then when that realization comes comes around, you, and I you know got on the field and and played my first test match, then you're, the realization that now it's it's actually really started. Now it's time to be able to okay, what do I have to do to be able to play well, not just get the baggy green, but be able to play well and and try and perform for you know, with the baggy green on my head. Um, and then that's so that's the that's the next step after, which is the most it's the most challenging because there's more there's more eyes on you, there's more pressure on you, there's you know a lot more expectation around it as well. So um, that's when it when it really begun. But that yeah, that first test match, that's why Sydney also plays is such a holds such a special part in uh, in my heart. One thing that's just incredible about your career is you finished on top. So IPL final 2018, just a lazy 117 off 57 balls, including eight sixes when Chennai beat the Sunrisers. It's amazing that you just were able to sustain your high level right to the end, even IPL 13. What, what, so what sort of kept that, what kept your skills up, do you think, mm. in those last few years when 
you know, it's easy for a player to sort of fade out. Yeah. Never happened for you. It's uh, two things, I suppose. The, yeah, two things. One was I was trying to prove it. I was trying to cu- prove a couple of things to myself as a starting point. One was the theory around it as a as a batsman alone, but cricket in general. The older you get, you know, towards the back end, you should really you taper off. Um, and my thought was around was well, you should actually be more skilled because you've had more more skill development. As long as physically you're not actually like you haven't slowed down, and bowling wise that was for me. But mm. batting wise, if my reflexes, if I'm able to sort of work on my reflexes, unless I've got like a physical sort of injury that's stopping me moving quickly, then surely my skills should actually be better than they than they've ever been, in theory of skill development. And the other the other one was around well also my experience of playing in different conditions, different bowlers, trying to tap into that. So that was one aspect. The other one was around the mental skills. And that's why by educating myself, you know, twenty end of twenty fifteen, like a deep understanding of the mental skills from a from a you know, guru mental skills coach from the US that I that I got introduced to, that was also again proving the point around okay, if I can get out of my own way from a mental skills point of view, surely I've still got a lot of good cricket in front of me. And these are the t- these and that's what I was sort of that's we one of the reasons why it kept me going is to go, well, let me let me try and prove that theory instead of it just sort of being a theory that um, that I might finish and then go well maybe I could have if I if I really worked on my mental skills so so that was the thing that I really really worked on and mm. there's no question being able to play only t twenty cricket meant that it was just refining that that skill and especially batting wise it was just refining that skill even in club cricket playing here in uh, for the Sutherland Sharks. I'll be playing a two-day game, and I'm practising after the first sort of 10 to 12 balls. Practicing I'm practising my, T20, my T20 batting. So these poor <laughs> guys who rocked up on the weekend thinking they just hit a, hit a length and I was coming and taking them on. But that was like – so being able to really concentrate my just practising one skill as well instead of sort of being test cricket one days and T20s and trying to just find a way to m- manoeuvre through those different format changes. It was just all my skill was on that. So – so those were the things, I suppose, that kept me really going to be able to prove that if you if you can get out of your own way from a mental skills point of view, then you got a chance of being able to access all these skills you got and still have some really good innings. You know, if all that wasn't enough, you've started your own range of cricket gear. Now, I, I heard you speaking to Pete Lawler and Gideon Hay on their podcast. So I know that, you know, part of your motivation was to make gear that was sort of inexpensive and affordable. Yeah. You know, I think that's very noble. I've got an idea for you. I've got an idea for for you. So what about pads that when the ball hit them left a little mark? So say you were sort of having problems with DRS, you could look down and go, oh, it's hit the outside of the pad. So I might might go upstairs (laughs) with that one. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? It'd be good. It'd be yeah. Well, (laughs) it'd be good to know. It might have probably helped me as well. So at least I could have like lined it up a little bit better. The DRS um, breaker by Watto. Yeah, I know exactly. That could be. Yeah, I might have to talk to the manufacturer see if I can get that on. <laughs> so seriously, yeah. though, you've 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 started your your brand of um, Shane Watson gear, T Twenty mm. All Stars. So what do you? What's sort of the the theory behind it? What what's going to make your stuff a bit different to what's around? Yeah, well, I suppose the starting point is just around the desi- the design. So everything that I'm doing um, with my with my gear is all around what I know like works and the design and the, the extra protection or the shape of the bat for example it's just everything that i've i suppose the knowledge that i've gained about because i'm so i've always been i was so particular about cricket is my are. Gear. cricket is are you Abs- just so absolutely into so, it. so as a starting point that's the reason why i was like i reckon i can 
I reckon I can design across like from the entry level range all the way up to the top of the range, all all the features in that that are so important to be able to make sure these people are using the best gear that they can for for whatever price range that they that they're in. So and again, so it's, so it's fueling my like my gear, I've been a gear, gear tragic since I was a young kid. Mm. So it's fueling that. But the other thing is just around making making the gear affordable. So for the the different sort of the ranges that. Um, well, the range that I've got right now, but the ranges that I will have, just making making it affordable for people if they want to get like a, a mid range mid range products. It's actually it's it's what the price the price it should be. Um, so that's why the T twenty stars. It's all online. It's take it's cutting out the middleman, so it's just going directly from wholesale directly to the consumer. So it's the products are for yeah compared to the compared to the other brands for that price for that quality of product. It's it's much more affordable. The online bit gets me because I've got two kids. You're busy every weekend, running around. You know, sometimes you just want to be able to click on, order something, and it arrives. Not have to go to a cricket center somewhere and takes the whole day. So you know, you're finding it. Is it been a success so far? Uh, yeah. Look, absolutely. Um, it's because it's a different way of buying things, though. Like for for cricket for cricketers in general, especially people in around the city, they used to going to. Chapel Cricket Centre or Kingsgrove and going and you know picking the gear out. So so in that regard, it's just it's going to take a little bit of time for people to sort of change their buying habits for cricket gear. But um, once they realise, people realise that the the quality and once they know the sizing and everything, and and also COVID sort of sped up the online sort of um, purchasing habits anyway. Absolutely. So um so in that regard, it's a it's sort of a perfect time to be able to to be able to launch it as well. But that's all part of you know the online e-commerce sort of space now. It's it's a way to be able to make things a better a better price point for the exact same quality quality of gear, just because you're you're only online. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, um, there's a link to T20 Stars in the show notes. Go and have a look. Shane Watson, entrepreneur, podcaster, former cricket star. What's next? Hopefully, successful, very successful podcaster, entrepreneur in the next phase. That's, I suppose, that's how I'm. Um, I'm built is to be able to just try and get the best out of myself and whatever I do. So I feel. Um, so the next phase is going to be you know, trying to push the limits on on how good I can be, whether it's with um, you know with my family being the best dad that I can be and best husband, but also this next phase of my life to be able to try and you know really build a successful successful business as well. Well, great stuff there with Shane Watson. You can hear the whole interview on our Patreon page. Head to the link in the show notes. Jaleesa, thanks so much for coming in this week. My pleasure. Have a good week. Thank you, you too. Enjoy all the cricket. There's um, a lot happening in the cricket world, so enjoy. No rain. No rain, we hope, for Lane Cove. Rain's going away. Yeah. Paul, have a great week. For Lane Cove. You too, guys. Speak to you next week. Thanks, listeners. (laughs) Bye-bye. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.